0: Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market.
1: You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it.
0: What's up, everybody? Since it's Thanksgiving week, Instead of bringing you a brand new interview, we're going to share one of our most popular interviews and one that we're really grateful for, which is with Dan Shapiro, the Chief Business Officer over at LinkedIn. There's some phenomenal takeaways, so I really hope that you enjoy it. And of course, hope that you have a happy and safe Thanksgiving week.
1: Since we recorded the podcast, Dan was promoted to Chief Business Officer at LinkedIn. Congrats, Dan. The entire Reveal team is so happy for you. You know, we usually I take the podcast kicked off with uh, a couple icebreaker questions. So we'll, to kick it off, what's your morning routine?
2: If you have one, <laughs> morning routine. Well, I have three, uh, you know, elementary school age kids. Uh, my boys are 10 and eight, and my daughter Avery is five. And so I would say the morning is absolute chaos. Um, just trying to get everyone dressed and fed and ready for their day while you're trying to get ready for your mm-hmm. day. Is it's a, it's a success every morning. Uh, and my big part of the morning is I make breakfast for the kids. So three kids, four different breakfasts. Like everyone wants something different. And, uh, you know, there's we're slicing fruit. We're cooking, you know, eggs. We're making toast. Like we're trying to fit it all together. But every day everyone gets to school. And honestly, uh, being able to do that and then I take them to school twice a, twice a week is just kind of one of my favorite
1: parts of the day. That's better than me. I just take out the box of cereal and the milk. <laughs> if you want it, you have it. <laughs> Otherwise, off to school, you go. <laughs> So VP of Global Solutions, uh, tell us a little bit more about what that uh, means to you, what that role means to you.
2: Yeah, I, well, LinkedIn uh, is a consumer platform, and we've had the fortune of building some amazing businesses on top of that platform across recruiting, learning, uh, marketing, and sales. And so I'm responsible for the global field team that brings those solutions to customers all over the world and helps them solve big problems. And ultimately, that's the basis upon which LinkedIn's business is built.
1: Your background was a little bit unique, like you didn't start in sales, um, so how did you actually get your way into, uh, into sales and, and running a sales org?
2: Yeah, uh, well, I, I was actually uh, more of an entrepreneur coming out of college. I started my first company in college, uh, which actually helped high school athletes get recruited by college coaches, and I loved it. And so I came out to the Valley after graduation, joined a few more startups, um, and so I'd always enjoyed the process of having an idea, trying to, you know, communicate it to others, get people bought in, build a partnership. And I think so that naturally lends itself to sales in a lot of ways. Uh, but it wasn't until I joined LinkedIn and the head of sales at the time, Mike Gamson, uh, came to me and said, we're, bu- we're going to build this great sales team like you should you should join us. You should uh, become a sales leader on the team. And I said, that's a terrible idea, Mike. (laughs) Uh, I have never done sales before. uh, And we're in this hyper growth stage. You need need people that have done this before. And he's like, no, I think this is going to be a good thing for both of us. So at LinkedIn was really where I cut my teeth. And I found that there were a lot of things that were completely new to me Mm -hmm. um, about sales, but there were a lot of instincts I had from my entrepreneurial days and my consulting days that were really uh, helpful. And I spent then at LinkedIn five years uh, in, on the sales team and then um, wound up doing a, uh, a tour in our product organization mm-hmm. before coming back to sales now.
1: What was the decision-making process that led you to want to go into product? Because I yeah. think that's pretty unique that folks are not, you know, once you're in sales, like you're going down that track for the rest of your career most likely. Um, so what led you to, to take that detour?
2: Yeah, it was really a conversation with our CEO, Jeff Wiener. Um, I've known probably since... Uh, some of my entrepreneurial days that I aspired to be a great CEO one day of a tech company to lead a great tech company. And I was sharing that with Jeff, who, you know, is just so um, exceptional at being a CEO. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he said, you know, you're doing a great job in your current role. Um, And at the time I'd grown the the LinkedIn business and recruiting from about $40 million to about a billion dollars in about five years. And I was very proud of that. And he looked at me and he said, you know, it's great that you've accomplished this. You've learned so much, but honestly, great tech companies are built on great products mm-hmm. and you need to learn how to build great products or great technology if that's what you aspire to be, if that's um, how you want to reach your full potential as a potential CEO someday. Mm-hmm. And so I took that feedback to heart. I, to be honest, in the moment, it wasn't the best feedback to receive. I sure. I thought I was doing a great job. I thought that I was learning so many things I was delivering for the company and It's one of those moments where someone tells you a truth that isn't necessarily comfortable in the moment, um, but upon reflection, you realize is is right, is Mm -hmm. the sort of the cold water you needed splashed on your face a bit, Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. and
2: once I came to understand that truth... I realized I needed to go do it. Like if I really wanted to have this journey and and be a potential CEO someday or lead a great tech company, I needed to learn product. And honestly, the only way to learn product is to do product. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't learn it from afar. You can't learn it by being connected to it. You need to build a product from the ground up. And so I moved from my uh, sales responsibilities as a leader to an individual contributor on the product team. yeah. And over the course of five years, got a chance to manage a bunch of different amazing products. And it was a fantastic journey. I learned so much and ultimately uh, then had the opportunity to come back on and lead the sales team at large uh, at LinkedIn.
1: What about first uh, other sales managers, sales leaders who are listening, who want to get more exposed to the product side of the business. Mm. Um, And I know you said Mm -hmm. that like you can't just do it from afar. Like what's a way that they can kind of get close to that part of uh, the business?
2: Yeah, well, I I think that um, most sales leaders that I talk to, if they think about their long-term aspirations and their career, you know, what what I hear from them is that maybe they want to lead revenue at a company someday, mm-hmm. or they want to be a COO, and I and I think that being a great revenue leader or a great CEO means you have to be a great partner to the product team. Not necessarily you need to know how to build a product, mm-hmm. but you need to be a great partner to the product team. And I found that the best ways to build out that skill set is either to take a tour in product marketing which can be a fantastic way to understand how to translate product into something that can be brought to market mm-hmm. or to get great feedback from the market and bring it back into the product roadmap. So product marketing is actually a nice tour for sales leaders. Interesting. Yep. The, other, the other is just get involved in launches. You know, when a new product at your company is being launched or you're, you're doing a new iteration on your existing product – that early feedback loop, those pilot customers, the process of charter or beta, those are the moments where I feel like you can really get a handle on what are some of the considerations that r- are important to great products, even without going into the product org or the marketing org. So mm-hmm. I usually yeah. say that those two great way are great ways to, to sort of cut your teeth a little bit.
0: You had a great quote from one of your blog posts on mentorship, hmm. uh, which I think kind of ties into this uh, you know, idea of, of moving from department to department, realizing your full potential. I'm going to read from it so I, so I get it correctly. But uh, the quote goes, uh, you don't exactly know how, but every moment of your life is going to set you up for what you'll end up doing later. Your hobbies, struggles, relationships, classes, and life experiences are all preparation for capitalizing on future opportunity. So, Maybe there's some more defining moments you can share with us besides, you know, going from sales to product that would help some other folks that are listening kind of, you know, get some confidence of their past experience and say, hey, there's there's another mountain for me to kind of get to the top of.
2: Yeah. Over the course of my life, there's been a pattern that I've experienced where I go through something hard or I go through something for joy and then only realized later that that thing that I went through is super helpful right now in a way that I never appreciated. Mm -hmm. Um, As an example, my first uh, startup in college was focused on soccer players. Now, I grew up playing soccer uh, pretty competitively And I would never have thought that that experience as a soccer player would someday lend itself Mm -hmm. to an opportunity to be an entrepreneur, to to learn how to build a startup. And yet, without that experience, there was no way I ever would have had that success. I I try to mentor people, not just from my circle, but LinkedIn has a great program called LinkedIn Coaches. And I spend time with students coming out of school that come from um, families that don't have connections into the industries that they might want to get into. And... One of the things that I, I, I sort of feel is a huge, wonderful thing for them to realize is that the things that they're going through to get their first job, that grit that they're building, yeah. the determination that inherently is in them to get to that point, that's going to set them up for a beautiful future in a way that they don't appreciate in the moment. All that mm-hmm. they feel is, oh my gosh, Like my family's been investing so much in me going to college. Now I gotta, I got to pay it back. I got to pay it forward. And what I see in them is, wow, like this is a person that is going to build a fantastic life for themselves and they just don't know that yet. Yeah. So I try to remind them in those moments because sometimes the hardship, you can start to see it in a different light. Experiences let you see the world differently and I, I find that um, people often with the best ideas have an experience that allows them to see opportunity in a unique way. Yeah.
1: So why don't we get a little bit more into the, the organization that you run? Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the sales team so that we have a sense of like the scale and the scope of what you're responsible for.
2: Yeah, so I'm responsible for all of the uh, quota carrying um, uh, reps at LinkedIn, all of the post sales uh, customer success team, uh, all of the foundational teams around sales ops, sales tools, sales productivity, and training, and really the whole the whole field So it's about six thousand people spread out over uh, over twenty five offices uh, mm-hmm. around the world, and you know we support tens of thousands of customers in four different lines of business, uh, whether it's recruitment, learning, marketing, or sales.
1: So with that scale, um, how do you make sure that you have like a strong pulse of what's going on both with your employees and with your customers?
2: Yeah, well, I think the more senior you get, the more your job is to make sure you have a picture in your mind of what's actually happening on the team. You do less, you absorb more. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of ways to make sure you have the right information. Part of it is you have great people around you that help analyze the business that you're running. And we have a pretty you know wide business with the big surface area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you cannot replace the texture of listening to a customer talk about what it feels like to work with your company. You can't replace sitting down with a rep uh, in Singapore and mm-hmm. s- looking in their eyes and having them talk to you about how they feel about their career at the company. And so I try to operate at both altitudes with as even energy as possible. And what I've found is that um, it basically means that when I go on all my trips around the world, that I have a very distinct playbook for listening, which is I listen and I don't talk. So I'll, like as an example, I'll sit down with reps uh, you know, in Sydney as an example. I'll mm-hmm. be going to Sydney in, um, in February. And I will say, like, please, I have a question for each of you. And my goal here is to listen and not respond. I'm going to take it all in. Like, there's always when you have a complaint or a gripe, and people are very at LinkedIn, very open and constructive about their feedback. Yeah. There's a tendency to want to, oh, wait, like, you have that problem. We're fixing that. But, like, that's not what that meeting is about. The meeting is about me making sure I have a sense of, of what it feels like to be an employee, to be a customer. And I use your product. So, <laughs> when I came into my new role uh, in February, every morning on the way to work, I listened to a sales call. Uh, Like open up the mobile app, and I I found a call, and uh, you know I tried just to understand where where the conversation was.
1: You will have these open ended conversations with the sales team where you're really focused on listening. How do you take and you know synthesize all that information and then do something about it so that the the team feels like it's a two way dialogue and the, Mm -hmm. the leadership is listening and doing something about what I have to say.
2: Absolutely. Well, there's there's sort of two levels of that. One is when you get feedback from a team, it's important that you follow up with them and at least you acknowledge that you heard what they said. And I think oftentimes just feeling like you were heard yeah. accurately mm-hmm. and with the right intention and the right care, that is a huge thing that I think people don't do and don't do enough of, to yeah. be totally honest. Then what I tend to do, I take those examples and I use them in my general narrative to the team. So I just sent out a holiday message to my team, thanking them for a great year. I took it as a moment to share and reinforce some of the things that I know are important, which are related to things that have been shared with me. Mm-hmm. And so I have been a fantastic uh, and LinkedIn generally has a fantastic internal communications team. And all we think about is making sure that our entire team is on the same page about mm-hmm. what's going on, what matters, what we're doing about it so that people a know that leadership cares. And I think LinkedIn does a fantastic job of that. Jeff mm-hmm. in particular is, is world class at that and that we're doing something about it. And so I am already thinking about at our next sales kickoff in July, how am I going to harken back to things I said in the prior July and show that yeah. that wasn't just talk? Yeah, um, we talked about diversity and inclusion. Like, what, what are the what's the progress we made on diversity and inclusion? Uh, we'll talk about customer value and making sure that our customers are getting as much value as they possibly can from our products and how much progress are we making on that? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. I think that having the moments to build and reinforce the story over the course of the year is a big part of making sure that you have a team that feels like really connected to their leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: We we had Lake Adoshi from LinkedIn here a couple weeks ago and I can hear uh, alignment is is true because you guys are both basically, you know, talking about how key it is to be aligned across all the teams, but also closing the loop right on these projects and these conversations that you've had before starting new ones.
2: Yeah. And well, Lake is such a talent. Uh, She has three things that, um, you know, I wish more people had, she is uh, strategic, she is operationally savvy and she cares about people incredibly. And I feel like that's a, that's a little bit of the formula for the kinds of people that tend to be successful, uh, on my team.
0: Maybe in the spirit of listening and probably plays a part in it. What are some of the unanswered questions that you're currently tackling?
2: Yeah, well, I think that the big trend that I'm paying a lot of attention to right now or I'm really focused on is that you know in technology we've and this is this has been a trend going on for a decade right but we've moved to subscriptions as the primary way that we work with our customers mm-hmm. and you know if you go back 20 years uh, you know, it was very much a license model. You, you sold, uh, you know, if you were in hardware, you sold a box. If you were in software, you sold a license and the deal was done and you sort of walked away. Mm-hmm. And I think it created a mentality in sales of the success point is the closing of the deal. And I actually remember back to a, a meeting I had coming out of school where I met with this really successful salesperson and my dad was encouraging me to learn about sales. He thought that might be interesting. And I remember talking to this person and just how much they loved closing the deal and how little they cared about what happened afterwards. (laughs) And that just doesn't play anymore. I mean, we're in a subscription business where every year a customer decides whether or not they value the relationship, whether or not they want to go bigger with their vendor or their partner And it's based on a better understanding of where value is getting created. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're in a moment where we need to rethink what sales is from a deal closing organization to a customer value organization because customer value is the best predictor of long-term success of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like we see it time and time again, the customers that get value from our products, whether they're hiring people, closing deals, building leads, learning for their organizations, those are the customers that grow over time. Mm -hmm. And but if you ask the average salesperson, like, what's your job, or like deep down, what do you think your job is? It's like signing paper, close deals, and mm-hmm. and it's this. That's the start. Um, right. And I think actually, I think this trend is incredibly healthy because it aligns the buyer with the seller. Right, right. at the end of the day, we care about the same thing in that world. Mm-hmm. I care about delivering value for you because I know that if I deliver value for you that that's going to translate into a healthy business, a bigger business and a bigger relationship over time. I mean, that's a partnership. That's actually yeah. the definition of a partnership is real real alignment.
0: Yeah. It's a mindset shift and something we coach here is like for a sales rep, oftentimes the signature is the finish line. Yeah. But for the client, it's actually the starting point. That's right. Right. right for the most part. And then to your, you know, the idea of the trends coming, it's like, You sell a certain amount of value up front, but you actually have to increase that value during the next 12 months or else someone else will try to come, you know, snipe your client or they'll just say, hey, you know, not really feeling the love, not really feeling like I'm getting more out of next year. So it definitely is a mindset uh, shift there.
2: Well, and and I think if you sort of take that thought to its conclusion, I think you're going to see more companies recognize that a you know customer success really matters and customer value really matters but actually that the opportunities for growth is doing more with the companies that already love you oh, mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to yeah. finding new companies or saving a situation that really wasn't a good fit to begin with yeah we see a ton of growth just by doing more with the companies that we already do a great job with but yeah. taking it to a whole new level
0: yeah
1: touching on the customer value piece and customer success How do you encourage your sales organization to work collaboratively with customer success so that that is viewed as an entire life cycle and journey and you are focusing on the customer value and it doesn't end when the deal starts?
2: Well, I think it starts with education. So the reason that it's important for customer success to align with sales and the reason why customer value is so important is because it's just true. Like it is true that customers getting value is what grows your business. And so I don't know that everyone for their first sales job necessarily like gets that at a deep visceral level. I think once you understand that, it's kind of like saying does culture matter mm-hmm. with your team? Yeah. It's like, well, you know, 20 years ago, people would have said, yeah, it's cool. We have a poster, but like, do I really believe that culture matters? Like, not really. Mm-hmm. Right. I think to now we have a generation of leaders that deep down believe that culture makes a difference. Right. And I think once you get that belief you just act differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and i found that there's there's sort of a, a belief in the world that um, salespeople are coin-operated, that you have to tie it to the comp plan. It has not been the case at LinkedIn from as far as we were concerned. Of course, you want to use comp plans to align your teams with what you know matters. But, uh, you know... Things like customer value, things like culture, if you build them into the DNA of your team, they will show up every day trying to make Mm -hmm. those things happen and they will work with each other to make them happen. Um, You know, because they know that that's what makes the business successful. Yeah.
1: So I think working in technology, you're in a landscape that's always evolving, right? There's new uh, capabilities, there's new technologies. Like we're in a world of machine learning and AI, and that's getting pulled into the product every day and sales. Uh, folks have to also continue to enhance their skills and learn new things. So how do you encourage your team to have that like growth mindset, be mm. in that um, kind of uh, mindset where they want to continue to learn new things and evolve and grow with the business and the industry overall?
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, I love the fact that growth mindset has become a topic of conversation. Yeah. As, <laughs> as a parent uh, with three small children, thinking about being a good parent, Um, as a leader of a big team. And to be honest, uh, it's wonderful to be part, uh, LinkedIn being part of Microsoft, to have a CEO in Satya Nadella who has championed growth mindset across the entire organization. So having that kind of top-down support and encouragement, I think is really powerful. Um, But I've generally found that people want to be in a growth mindset if they're encouraged to be in a growth mindset, if they're reminded that Mm -hmm. learning is how they get ahead. And uh, I think that, The people that we hire, they naturally gravitate towards that kind of belief as long as you celebrate the process with them. I think the place where people tend to get into fixed mindsets is when they are discouraged or penalized for growth, Mm -hmm. for learning, for going through the process of not being good at something and then learning how to be good at it. And maybe where it comes from for us is we take a very long-term view of our people. We are not looking to hire someone to hit a quarter. We are trying to hire someone to build a long-term career relationship with that at some point will transition into them doing something fantastic in their career, whether it's at LinkedIn or outside of LinkedIn. And I think that that kind of long-term mentality means that you invest in your culture and you invest in the development of your team Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're going to be together for a while.
1: I actually recently heard Mike Gamson speak at a sales assembly event in Chicago and he talked about a program that LinkedIn created to, I believe it was to bring in educators mm. uh, who had never worked in sales before to you know teach them the sales skills that they needed because they already inherently had other skills that are needed, helping folks to like learn and develop these new skills, come into a new sector, and then set them up for success. Is LinkedIn still doing either that initiative or similar initiatives that you could touch on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have programs in multiple functions at LinkedIn that are designed to bring people from less traditional backgrounds uh, onto the uh, into the company, give them more space to develop the skills that they need. Uh, but and these people are just fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. They have tremendous aptitude. they tend to be very flexible. They just may be 10% short of the qualifications of the kinds of things that uh, that you would normally hire for. And so they might normally get screened out, but we have this in sales, We have this in engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great way to, build out our diversity efforts because we we can have a larger talent pool to 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 sort of engage with and you know think about it like a teacher right like what is sales but building a relationship with someone helping educate them on the way to think about a problem in a different way provide them with a solution that solves that problem for yeah, them yeah uh, that person may not have ever held a quota but wow they've been spending uh, years and years of their life trying to help people learn new things yeah uh, in passionate ways. And so when you find that person that has that that appetite, like why not take a hold of them? You know, the worst words you can hear in a hiring discussion is hit the ground running, hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had a, uh, a nickel for every time someone said like we need to find someone that hits to hit the ground running. And I just cringe every time I hear it, because mm-hmm. uh, that means you're solving for hiring based on a three month window. Mm-hmm. And you know, anyone in your team, if you intend to have a long term relationship with them, you need to at least be thinking 18 months, if not 24 months. And so my question uh, every time I'm in that moment is on what time frame are you optimizing for? Like at what moment should we pull up and ask ourselves whether that was a great hire or not? Mm-hmm. And if that person says three months, I'm like, well, we're on the wrong time frame. Mm-hmm. Right. If we were 18 months, would you make a different decision? Right. And and yeah. oftentimes they'll say, yes. I'm like, great. I'd like us to make a decision on an 18 month time frame. Is there anything that we need to change about how we're going to bring this person in to make sure that we are solving for 18 months as opposed to three months? But I think that it is absolutely in service of the long term health of the team and the business to be hiring people that are going to hit their potential over a longer arc. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: No, that's refreshing to hear because I know, I think 90% of sales orgs have a three month ramp, you know, kind of yeah. no matter if you're on the SMB mm-hmm. team, if you're on the upper enterprise store you get, you know, you get a little bit longer, but it's like, there's no way across all these different types of businesses and who you sell to that every seller should be on this three month, you know, ramp period. Yeah. And I think it's, it's true. It's like, can we get this person in and hit quota basically in, in three months? And it's yep. like, should look a little bit further than that, right? Like, is this a million dollar hire? Is this person going to be able to bring a million plus dollars? Like you said, in like 18 months
2: and i think that the the mix is to be able to spot early whether you just have a bad fit.
0: Yeah.
1: You
2: know so you don't want to necessarily wait to 18 months to make a decision on someone that doesn't look like it's working. Sure. But the question is what are you solving for? And sometimes there are people that have like you see it in them, right? You know those moments you see it in them, you just know it might take a little time. Like, sure. You need to be making those bets all day long. Mm-hmm. There are other people that come in and you're like, you know, this this we missed something. Uh, it's not a great fit. We can see that they can see that. All right. Well, let's let's sort of figure out how to how to manage through it.
1: So, looking into the future, mm-hmm. um, what sales trends are you most excited about?
2: Yeah, I, there are two. Uh, one is this this sort of trend around salespeople rethinking their jobs from being deal closers to being people that are helping their clients add value, grow their businesses. Uh, It's a much different mindset. I think it's a mindset that customers love and appreciate, Mm -hmm. but hasn't always been in the DNA of sales orgs. And some sales orgs, there's a mentality of, in fact, being combative with your customers, us versus them. I mean, like, what could be further from the truth? If you have a subscription model or you have an auction model where these relationships and the economics from these relationships get built over a very long arc, you need to build a long arc kind of sales team that brings value to the table. I think the other is you're seeing companies build much greater strength in what we at LinkedIn call our foundational teams. So sales ops, sales tools, sales productivity, training. Mm -hmm. These teams are becoming the bedrock of how many sales organizations operate. Mm -hmm. And I think you had a generation of sales leaders before that came up through the sales ranks. So they really understood how to run a team. But maybe they didn't have as much system level thinking about how to operate that foundational layer. The, the companies that I see uh, doing great have sales leaders that can play in both worlds. Um, and we are elevating uh, at LinkedIn those foundational teams to make sure that they are not just in, you know, in support of or in service of our sales leaders, but they have an equal seat at the table because we know that their success is what's going to create long-term success for our organization.
0: Dan, I would like to know, what is your sales superpower?
2: I think I'm a, I'm a good listener and I think that oftentimes customers feel like the world around them is chaotic, that a lot's happening to them and they're looking for a partner that it can help simplify the problems that they're facing. And so I've found that uh, the way I can be most helpful for a customer is to take all in as much as possible the problems that they're facing all the constraints, the reasons why it's hard, the things that they've, take, they've tried mm-hmm. in the past, and helping distill that down to a simple view of the situation that they can then act on. Oftentimes that action is in with us. Uh, sometimes that action's not. Mm-hmm. But I think people can feel paralyzed when the world feels complicated. Sure. And so I think creating simplicity for me is, is a way that I can be as helpful as possible.
0: That's great.
1: How would you describe sales in one word?
0: Value. The quickness in response. Yeah, yeah there's no hesitation. Yeah. Lack of hesitation. Yeah, I mean, like
2: it's so obvious. If you, if any organization looks at their looks at their data, and I'm a data driven person. If you deliver value for their clients, you build great long term growing relationships over time. If you asked a client, who do you want to want to do more business with? They're going to say the companies that are helping me solve my problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right.
2: And I I tend to think that you know it is the. Only lever and the primary lever that every company has to grow their business. Like, how much value do you get to create? So, if you get your sales team aligned around how to create value, how to be part of the solution, how to help customers look at problems in different ways and, and new solutions to solve those problems, you're going to build a great business.
1: Well, thanks so much, Dan. It was great yeah, to have you on the, on the show. Yeah,
2: thank you. Thanks for having me, and uh, congrats on all the success you, you guys are having.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. This week's micro action is all about active listening. Do you ever zone out while someone is talking to you? Yeah, me too. Dan shared how he takes pride in being a great listener. It's a sales superpower. And this skill helps you build trust and understanding across all your interactions from sales conversations, internal communication with colleagues and our social lives. So today I'm sharing three tips to help you practice and become an outstanding listener. All right, first up on sales calls, pay attention to your talk to listen ratio. This is essentially monitoring how much you speak versus listen in a given conversation. An ideal range is 40 to 50% from the seller's side. Remember, everyone wants to be heard, your buyers included, make sure you're listening. And that leads to our second tip, listen to understand, not to respond. I'm gonna say that one more time. Listen to understand, not to respond. This is a big one and it can be challenging for salespeople who are wired and trained to be problem solvers. The key to mastering this, however, is dialing up your curiosity. If you find yourself truly curious to understand and hear what the other person is saying, you'll find yourself speaking less. That's a good thing. A quick tip for people who sell via web conferencing like Zoom and GoToMeeting is to mute yourself right after you're done talking. That way you're on mute when your buyer is speaking and it forces you to listen and you have to manually unmute yourself. little barrier there can prevent you from interrupting and speaking too much. All right, last thing, remove distractions and quiet your mind. Remember that zoning out thing? Chances are your brain was wondering about your phone notifications, an email you need to write, or a grocery run store that you need to make after work. This is tricky, but here's how I do it. Whenever these distractions pop up into my head, I simply tell myself, not now. It's not that this thing isn't important. It's not that I won't get to it. But in this moment, I'm going to pay attention to who's right in front of me, who's speaking to me. I'll get to that distraction later. All right, those are three tips for being a better listener. Try them out this week and see how it goes. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday.
1: And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there.
0: And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.
1: And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at revealgong.io. At